Hello and welcome. I'm Sean. And I'm Kat. And this is another episode of Been There, Seen That. Fifteenth episode today, we are covering an action adventure, and our first one in that category is going to be Kingsman. So, tell me what your thoughts are on Kingsman: The Secret Service, because you're the one of us who just watched this for the first time today. Right. So, I had heard a lot about this movie. I remember people really liking it when it came out, and I guess I just never got around to it. I didn't like it really at all. Kind of bored me. <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't really my cup of tea. I'll go more into like the reasons I didn't like it once we get started going into the plot and everything. But yeah, I don't know. It just didn't hit for me in the way that I kind of expected it to. I think something that I really like about Kingsman is that the violence in it is very comic book like it's a very stylized violence. And I know we talked about that in the Adam project. But this is another one where it's very over the top. And this is a little bit more R rated than the Adam project. So you kind of see who the director is. It's Matthew Vaughn. And if you're familiar with his work, he also directed Kick-Ass. Have you seen Kick-Ass? I haven't. So Kick-Ass is another comic book adaptation movie, but it's almost like a satirical comic book. Actually, one of the actors put it perfectly. He quoted this by saying that Kingsman is to James Bond what Kick-Ass is to superhero movies. It's almost like a satire, but it is meant to be taken seriously. It's not meant to like poke fun at it or anything. It's more just like a very over-the-top nature of it. So is this like actually based on a comic? It is. It's actually based on the Secret Service comic. In the comic, it's different. So Kingsman is a private organization, but in the comic series, it covers the MI6. So one of the key differences in that is that a lot of the different aspects of the plot are changed to kind of reflect, you know, Kingsman being a private organization. And with MI6, Mm -hmm. there's already this established curriculum that they were trying to follow and keep into the comic books. But I feel like creating Kingsman and making it more fictional instead of basing it on a real organization allowed them kind of some creative freedoms. And it really made it feel like a classy, almost old fashioned action movie. It always made me feel like I was watching a James Bond movie. Yeah, it's like a little campy at times where I don't know, I think that's part of the reason I didn't like it. I understand some of their decisions in creating this film now that I know that it's based off of a comic because I was not aware that that was what it was based on. Because one of the reasons that I didn't like it was because of the way that it was shot. Like I almost felt like I was playing Call of Duty and I'm not good at that game. So like it's, (laughs) I felt like I was like stuck in this fight scene and it's just not really hitting for me. And I, I think the going into the cinematography a little bit, obviously there's fight scenes here. Just give you your spoiler warning now. We are going to be going into Kingsman and Secret Service in great detail. So if you have not seen that film and don't want that spoiled for you, we recommend you stop here and watch that now. Moving on. There's a ton of fight scenes, and I think that some of the way that the camera angles were working, it was like too close up. And then there's that weird like zoom in, zoom out thing that you get in video games where it's like trying to focus on something. I don't know. It was really off-putting, and I, I guess I wasn't expecting that style of cinematography. So I was actually reading that for the action sequences in this film, all of the action is framed centrally. So the viewer's eye is never meant to leave the center of the frame. And that's not something you always see because usually in these bigger blockbuster movies, you have something going on anywhere that you look in the screen. And this was Mm -hmm. meant to be 
very much focused. All the fights, you're supposed to be focusing on one specific person and one specific move. It's very much choreographed or stylized. I think that makes a lot more sense in the way that they filmed it. now, Because, like I said, I'm not a fan of the way that they filmed it, but that makes sense. And I think that's why it kind of correlated into, like, a first-person video game to me. Whereas, like, when we were talking about the Atom Project, it, it only felt like a video game in terms of the color grading and kind of not following the characters as much. Right. So let's talk about the plot a little bit because it opens with one of these action sequences. We yes. open in Middle East 1997, and it's playing Money for Nothing, which already kind of tells you that you should be strapped in for a wild ride here. I love when the soundtrack kind of gives you the feel to the movie. And mm -hmm. it's definitely one of those cases in the first scene. So we're following this rescue mission and special agent Lee Unwin protects the other agents in his team by sacrificing himself when a rogue grenade is set off. Among these agents is Harry Hart, who's played by Colin Firth. And this is a role that I've never really seen Colin Firth in. I didn't know he was an action star and I was very surprised and impressed because I went on to read that he did about 80% of his own stunts for this movie. Oh my God, okay, Tom Holland. <laughs> So Harry, feeling responsible for the bomb, returns home to deliver the news to his now-widowed wife, Michelle, and son, Eggsy. Knowing that it can't make up for the loss of his father, he gives them a Medal of Valor and explains that there's a number hidden on the back and that should they ever need it, they can call that number and ask for any favor. And the favor can be any nature, it's up to them, but they just have to say Oxford, not Brogues, and they'll know it's them. We then flash forward 17 years later, and abruptly, it's just Mark Hamill, which I was not expecting here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a big time jump, I guess. But I mean, it's not the time jump that shocked me. It was the fact no, that it just yeah. cut to Mark Hamill because, yeah. I mean, you have like an iconic actor like Mark Hamill, and I wasn't expecting him to pop up in a movie like this. But there's actually a tie into the comic book with that in that in the comic book, the main villain is trying to eliminate the population except for his favorite celebrities. So the comic opens with him kidnapping Mark Hamill to try and give him an <laughs> implanting chip to make him immune to like the wipeout that we're going to talk about later. Oh my god, that's funny. Yeah, so they were trying to kind of give those subtle nods to the comic book. But apart from that, there are like drastic differences to like characters and the plot and stuff like that. So we're back to Mark Hamill and he's playing a professor and he's being held hostage, but Agent Lancelot, who was present in the opening fight sequence, has come to rescue him. And after a smooth takedown, again, a very stylized fight, it actually ends mm -hmm. with him taking out a guy and grabbing his glass of whiskey as he kind of knocks the guy to the ground. It was very classy. So yeah. you kind of think they're in the clear here, but then as they're about to walk out the door, Lancelot gets sliced in half, and that introduces one of our primary villains, Gazelle. Okay, I thought that was such a weird way for him to die. <laughs> like, that was something I wasn't expecting, and I think that really introduces the non-realism of these fights and, like, how almost hyper-stylized they are, because it's just, what? <laughs> It's definitely very over the top, yeah. And I mean, yeah. it's very abrupt, too, because you just kind of see the look of shock on his face, and then his body just splits in half. I literally have in my notes, what is this movie? That man just got cut in half, and this lady got no legs. Wait, she's got knives for legs. And it's funny, because Gazelle actually works for Valentine, who's the primary villain in this film, and he's played by Samuel L. Jackson, but Valentine enters the room, and Gazelle has to actually cover up all the dead bodies before he comes in. And he comes in, and he just goes, oh, you know, I don't like violence. I see one drop of mm -hmm. blood, and I'm done. So 
you kind of have this comedic undertone throughout. And I think that's something Kingsman does really well is it blends the action genre with the comedy genre. It's very much bouncing back and forth between the two of them. That's interesting that you say that because at the end of the movie, I think one of my regrets was that it wasn't comedic enough or maybe it wasn't comedic in the style that I wanted it to be comedic. I don't know. I wanted more comedy in it. And I think that would have filled like a missing piece for me. But I think the comedy is just like a different type of comedy. It's like a violent comedy. It's a little bit of like a raunchy humor almost. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I wish it was just a little more lightly comedic. I don't think the comedic moments gave you relief from the violence. I also don't like violent films. So that's on me. (laughs) Oh, then this is not your film at all. No. (laughs) But I also want to talk about Gazelle a little bit more because Gazelle's a very interesting villain. So Mm -hmm. in the comic books, Gazelle is a young man with artificial legs. And in the movie, Gazelle is a female acrobatic double amputee dancer with artificial legs. So there's a big change here. And when you watch her fight, it's very much stylized. You can kind of see the acrobatic and dancer background because all of the moves that she makes are very choreographed and i mean in the final battle which we'll get to later it almost is like a dance with knives and so she has these running blades and in the middle of the running blades are these very sharp knives and so that's what she uses to fight and it's kind of a villain that we've never really seen before i'm always here for some type of inclusion to people with disabilities and i think that incorporating gazelle and showing that you can have a badass like that is really just something that i was waiting for yeah i agree i i think her like knives for legs are really cool um i really like when they incorporate parts of the villain strategy almost into their bodies like we've seen a little bit but like i don't know i like i like her weapons on her feet well, and originally they had Amy Purdy on board to play Gazelle, and Amy Purdy is a double amputee snowboarder, and she was also a oh, runner-up on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, so yeah. she was originally signed on to play Gazelle, but filming ended up being delayed, and she dropped out because she didn't want to miss the Olympics. So in her absence, they signed on Sophia Butella, and she had to undergo this really intense training because she actually has both of her legs, but... She did have to learn Thai boxing, Taekwondo, and how to work with different cables because she wanted to make sure that she got those movements down and was learning to kill with her legs and kind of offering these different kicks. And so Sophia Butella said that it was unlike anything her body's ever done and that it was just very physically demanding, which I can imagine it would be. Interesting. I almost would have liked to see a version that Amy Purdy was in because I remember her from Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) But I think it's it's a definitely a choice to have somebody who's not a double amputee filling this role. Sometimes you just kind of have to do what you have to do. But I would have also really liked to see somebody that was kind of already there filling that role. But it's interesting having to like retrain your body to almost rely on your legs entirely when your legs are something that was taken away. I wish we had more backstory on this character because I think she's one of the most interesting characters in the film. They could totally give her a spinoff movie and I would absolutely see it. Yeah, absolutely. So going back into the plot, we return to Harry and he's walking into the Kingsman suit shop and he attends a virtual hologram conference with all the other Kingsmen. And that's where it's revealed that Lancelot was killed. And so they begin the program to replace him. And so all of the present Kingsmen are asked to provide a candidate that they feel would be a proper fit. So then we cut to this scene and it's showing Valentine a little bit more. And his plan's not really clear right now. We've only seen him enter that scene with Mark Hamill and that's all. 
it's at this point that we realize that there's bioweapons being tested around the world, and it's implied that this is by Valentine and his men, and that the reason that they were going after Mark Hamill, who's now revealed to be Professor James Arnold, which, nod to the comics, that's the villain in the comic books. So they had the name again. Mark Hamill just had all the Easter eggs with his character. But (laughs) he's important to Valentine's overall plan because he's a climate change professor. And so you're kind of wondering where this plan's going. And one of the things I really like about the villain's plan with this, in comparison to other spy movies that I've seen, is that you don't really know what the villain's plan is until you're about to walk into the final act of the film. Whereas I feel like with a lot of other spy movies, you know the villain's plan straight up at the beginning, and then you just kind of see the obstacles they're facing to stop this plan in action. Yeah, I feel like you get a very... This is a weird comparison, but I feel like you get very like Dr. Doofenshmirtz kind of structure where you know exactly what he's doing, what his plan is at the very beginning, and you kind of try and stop him throughout. And then at the very end, you almost don't stop him and then you do. And that's just kind of like the structure they had in that show. But I think that's just a general structure. So it's interesting that you didn't really know what was going on because I don't know, I might have been confused about that a little bit. I wasn't super drawn into this plot. Very much. The only part I really liked was when they were, like, interviewing to be Kingsman. I really enjoyed that part. I thought it was it was fun and it was entertaining and I didn't, I wasn't sure what was going to happen next. But, yeah, the, those parts really kept me on my toes. But the rest of it, I was like, I don't know, which now I'm thinking back, if there were stakes that were presented at the beginning, maybe I would have been drawn more into that plot. I honestly think that this film is one of those ones that you should revisit because once you figure out what the villain's plot is, when you're going into that final act, when you go back and rewatch it, you can kind of see all the little hints that they were giving you throughout the movie to see what this plot was going to be. And they never Mm -hmm. outwardly say what it is, but they leave it so it's honestly able to be implied. Yeah, I mean, I definitely can look back and see, oh, this is where they were headed with that plot line, but it wasn't something I picked up on, which I don't think you're meant to pick up on it entirely. I think by the time we get to figuring out what's going on, it is pieced together right there in front of you. And you're like, oh. Exactly. So they're a little bit confused because he was reported missing and all of a sudden they see footage of him walking around his college campus seemingly fine. And the last person that he was with was Lancelot, who's now dead. So they decide that they want to investigate a little bit. And so now we cut to a grown-up Eggsy, where 17 years later now, he's grown up and he's wearing the medallion as a necklace each day. His mom, Michelle, has begun a toxic relationship with this thug, and it's just not looking great. Everything's kind of gone down in the slums for them. So Eggsy goes out for some drinks with his pals and gets into a bit of trouble when he steals a car with his friends and gets into this epic car chase, but it's ultimately ended by him swerving to avoid running over a cat and crashing the car, which is actually hinting at the dog subplot later, which we'll discuss. Oh, okay. I see. We do have little little, little character hints character hints, yeah. Yeah, okay. So once Eggsy gets busted, he calls the number on the medallion, not really sure what's going to happen, but he follows the instructions, and to his surprise, he's released almost immediately. On his way out of the jail, he stumbles upon Harry. Harry introduces himself to Eggsy as the one who got him out, and he takes him to a bar to kind of give him some clarity on how he knows him and how he knew his dad and all that stuff. And the goons that the car belonged to end up crashing at the bar and want to beat on Eggsy. Now, Harry cautions them against this, to which they threaten him. 
Harry gets up as if he's about to leave the bar and you're like, wow, he's going to turn his back. But this is actually where we get my favorite fight scene in the entire movie. And instead of leaving, Harry locks the doors to the bar and says three words, manners maketh man. And with that, (laughs) he kicks all their asses. (laughs) Yeah, this is actually the first time I was like, I noticed the cinematography and that I wasn't enjoying how it was shot. But I really did like this scene. I think I agree with you. This is my favorite fight scene out of all of them. It's just, it's got this weird undertone of classiness to it that the others don't. It's very stylized. Yeah, yeah. And maybe it's because it's not as openly violent as the others. And that's why I enjoyed it because it's not as bloody perhaps. You know, I mean, he kind of just knocks them on their ass and then they just walk out of the bar. Yeah. So once they get out of the bar, Harry takes Eggsy to the Kingsman suit shop where he reveals the hidden Kingsman organization and explains that he would like to recruit him to be a Kingsman and having nothing to lose really Eggsy accepts. So with that, we're taken to training, which begins with nine candidates. And Merlin, who's one of the Kingsman officers, explains that one of them and only one of them will be crowned the next Lancelot at the end of this. He gives them this convo, and I really like it because he hands them all a bag and says, this is your body bag. You need to fill out all your information, your next of kin, and what you want done to you in the event that you're lost. And All the candidates kind of look around like, is this real? And one of them's like, it's just a tactic used by the armies to scare you into submission. And then we're introduced to some of the other candidates. And basically all the guys that are there are privileged brats. But we also have Roxanne and Amelia. And they're the only other female candidates. So they welcome Eggsy warmly and tell him to ignore the other guys, which he does. And that brings us into our first night of training. So this part like fully gave me anxiety. It's (laughs) like sleeping And then, like, this is almost, it didn't look real. Like, this is where it looks like a video game again. The floor just starts, like, rippling and then filling with water. And then all of a sudden, we're, like, in a full water chamber. And they're completely submerged trying to, like, figure out a way to breathe and get out of there. And I, oh, my God, I hated the scene so much. (laughs) Basically, yeah. So it's this large room. They all share sleeping quarters. There's a bathroom attached to it. And the room begins to fill with water, like you said. As it's filling up, two of them yell, oh, we need to go and get showerhead snorkels. But Eggsy's like, no, we need to open the door. So once the water reaches the top, you see the majority of the group go towards the showers and Eggsy go towards the door. And Mm -hmm. Eggsy's trying to open the door, but it's kind of showing you that Eggsy's already mentally on a different wavelength when it comes to problem solving. But he can't get the door open. And you see the other candidates kind of make these makeshift snorkels underwater because they take out the shower head and shove the hose down the toilet, giving them oxygen. Once the door doesn't open, Eggsy looks across the room and actually realizes that the mirror in the bathroom area is a two-way glass pane. So he swims over to it and busts through the glass pane, and it erupts to show that Merlin has been observing them on the other side. Okay, so during that scene, they actually had like a pretty bad accident on set, And the director, Matthew Vaughn, called action and something went wrong with like the timing on the computers and suddenly everybody was just completely underwater. Like the crew, the cameras, like everything was underwater and this was their first day of filming. And so they said like, there was a quote from him saying like the actors weren't acting, they were absolutely terrified. Can you imagine like working on a set and just trusting your directors and trusting your creative team? And then all of a sudden you're 
completely, especially for the camera guys and crew people like that, like just being completely submerged out of nowhere, not expecting it. Well, they were supposed to have water markers, so it was supposed to stop filling at a certain point. And I guess the computer just malfunctioned and kept filling. So they were like rapidly pulling them out of the tank where they were filming. Oh my God. I, that's nightmarish. That is nightmarish. It reminds me a lot of the Isla Fisher drama that happened on the set of Now You See Me. Have you heard about that? I did hear about that. Yeah. So minor spoiler for those of you who haven't seen Now You See Me. It's not really a spoiler. but Which I actually haven't seen either. So There's this sequence <laughs> where Isla Fisher plays a magician. And so she's submerged in this tank and handcuffed to the bottom. And she's trying to provide this illusion where she escapes. And when they were filming the sequence, she's supposed to be acting like she's trying to get out. And then she just vanishes out. But her chains actually got caught and she couldn't reach the safety latch to drain the tank. So she was actually banging on the tank trying to get the crew to notice that she was in distress and they thought she was acting. And ultimately she had like a panic attack. She was freaking out because she almost drowned. Right. I I can't imagine accidents like that on set. Like that is my worst nightmare. Now, after this test, Merlin actually explains that this was a test of teamwork and they really all failed. And they look back and realize that Amelia, one of the two girls there, is dead. And she's just kind of lying there amidst all this. And so all of a sudden, the candidates realize that, you know, they were serious in the beginning about some of you will not make it through this training. And that's kind of where they all realize that you're either in it for the long run here or you should just leave. So the next day, Harry pays a visit to the professor trying to understand how he walked away while Lancelot was killed, and he begins to question him. Now, Professor Arnold claims he doesn't really understand what's happening, and all of a sudden his head just explodes. Wait, what? Did I miss that? Sean, I swear I black out in these movies. (laughs) Oh my god, it's like a big plot point. (laughs) Okay, I feel like I'm watching this movie again for the first time. This is very exciting for me. Oh, well, let's not stop on my part then. So, once the head explodes... Harry flees and another explosion follows and it's revealed that Valentine had implanted the professor and the head explosion was his doing to keep Professor Arnold quiet from Harry's questioning. Interesting. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. I didn't even have it written in my notes. Well, that's going to bring us to Harry's next plot point, which is he's sent into a coma from the explosion. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, because I remember him being in a coma and questioning, oh my God, why is he there? Yeah. So the explosion where I'm damage, blacking out during these movies. <laughs> and he's all of a sudden in a coma. But that also brings us to the next day of training. And the candidates mm-hmm. are asked to pick a puppy companion that they're supposed to train along with them on their journey through this whole thing. And Eggsy picks a pug who he names <laughs> JB, but he thinks it's a bulldog. And he has this conversation with Roxy, who picks a poodle. And she just says, you picked a pug? And he goes, it's a bulldog, isn't it? And she's just like giving him this look. And he's like, well, he'll get bigger. And she gives him this look again. And it has this funny montage of them training because everyone else's dogs are like these very obeying and commanding large dogs. And he just has this little pug that's tugging on the leash and not wanting to go through (laughs) training. And it's so cute. The the pug is is adorable. The pug is so cute. And honestly, I think that was one of those moments of comedy that I really did enjoy and wanted more of because, like, that moment where he's like, oh, Merlin, so we can't pick up the dog. But, like, the dog is literally sitting on the floor, like, not moving. He has to pick him up. So it's – and he, you see that montage of him running with him in his jacket on his chest. It's so cute. 
So Eggsy is starting to take training a bit more seriously because after he finds out that Harry's in a coma, he kind of is using it as a pushing to make him proud. When he wakes up, he wants Harry to be proud and see him as a trained Kingsman. So amidst all that training, we cut to Valentine and he's having dinner with the Princess of Sweden and the Scandinavian Prime Minister. And he explains to them his plan, which is not shared with the audience at this point. Again, we're kind of left in the dark to imply whatever is happening. But all we know is that the princess is opposed to whatever is happening. And because of this, she is taken hostage, whereas the prime minister is in full support. And you see him get one of the microchips implanted into him as well. Yeah, I (laughs) the way that the plot line is presented is like very confusing. And all I had written down was like bad guy, something about chips and brain. And I think that's I don't know. I feel like they were trying to make some kind of comparisons to like technology and whatnot. but. I don't know. It was confusing. I wish it was a little more clear, like a little more clear that you could piece it together if you were paying a little bit more attention. But maybe you'll have to revisit it after we finish discussing it, because I mean, once we talk about the reveal of their plan later in it, I want you to go back and rewatch this movie. Okay, yeah, because I feel like I'm learning a lot right now. (laughs) So Harry awakens from his coma and he congratulates Eggsy on making it to the final six candidates. It's discovered that the head explosion Harry witnessed was the result of one of Valentine's implants, like we mentioned. And Valentine announces on TV that he is distributing these SIM cards to anyone who wants one. And with these SIM cards, it's basically offering everyone in the world free internet, free phone service, free anything online. So it's basically meant to be an end to your phone bill and an end to paying for all that Mm -hmm. stuff. It obviously has an appeal to everyone, so it's mass-marketed, and everyone in the world can have one for free. They'll be available tomorrow. So we're back to the final six training. This time it's a skydiving exercise where they have to try and stay off the radar while dropping onto a target. I love this scene. I thought it was so, like, wonderfully crafted. You have, like, the perfect amount of anxiety going down, and you're, like, really rooting for your characters. And then they push that divide between them when they're, like... One of you doesn't have a parachute, but you work as a team. Get everyone down. And, ah, man, it's just like the perfect combination of they're filling you with all these different emotions. And then who's the guy that, like, jumps ship immediately? He's like, ah, whatever. Just one of the side guys. He's not one of the main ones. Yeah, one of the first guys that jumps off and then he ends up getting eliminated because of that. But it's an interesting task for them to go through. And the situation they were in was really anxiety-inducing already. So I I don't know. I think it was a really well-crafted scene. It was one of the ones that I really enjoyed. Well, and I mean, similar to the first task, there's more to it because they're only told that they need to be able to drop down and land while not being on the radar. But once they're all out of the plane and they're falling and they think that, you know, oh, this was so easy. That's when Merlin kind of comes over the intercoms on their parachute suits. And he's just like, you didn't think it would be that easy. One of you guys doesn't have a parachute. Now figure it out. And (laughs) So they're all kind of one by one, like, we need to do this. But like you mentioned, that one jumps ship, and that leaves them with an odd number. So what they start to do is they form a circle, and they're like, we're going to go one by one and pull the chutes. And whoever has a faulty chute, the person to the right, just grab on tightly to them. So one by one, it's just eliminating them as they're getting closer and closer. And you kind of have these intercut scenes because it shows them falling and then it shows the radar of how close they are to the ground and how much longer they have until they can pull the chute but not make it. And so one by one, they're going and going and it finally comes down to Roxy and Eggsy. 
And Roxy was already having hesitations about jumping out of the plane and Eggsy kind of had to convince her to do it. But Roxy pulls her chute and it goes through. So all of a sudden you're left to believe that Eggsy was the one left with a faulty chute. So mm-hmm. he holds on to Roxy and they both land on the target. I think they're the only ones that land on the target, aren't they? So one of the other candidates does, but two of them missed the target and one was detected. The one who pulled first was detected on radar. So three of them are eliminated, leaving Charlie, Roxy, and Eggsy. And Charlie was kind of like the head spoiled boy. He was very privileged and not very welcoming to Eggsy. He's always picking fights with him. Right, right. And then Eggsy actually has a moment with Merlin. He's like, why did you choose me for the fake parachute? And Merlin's like, you're not going to question my decisions. And Eggsy's very heated up and getting up in Merlin's face. And all Merlin does is just pull the strap to reveal that Eggsy (laughs) had a shoot the entire time. And that this was really just a test under pressure. I thought that was also part of the like writing of the scene that I really liked because it kind of put it into perspective like they're not trying to kill them they're just trying to see how they react in these situations right and i mean it comes into play later because after the final exercise they're like there's no more safety nets after this yeah yeah which then brings us into the next scene where they're at that bar they're just trying to get information from this one girl they were all given this portrait of her And so as they're doing that, they realize that all their drinks have been drugged. And then it cuts to Eggsy strapped up to a train track. And they're putting him against this, like, who are the Kingsmen? You know, who who are these people that you're associated with? And just trying to get the information of the Kingsmen out of him. And he won't give up the information. The train comes and you think he's going to get... I honestly thought they offed him right there. Like, I fell for that. But it's a fake train track. And it was just another task that they were going through. And that kind of brings us back to Charlie and his privileged self. And he just, he's the only one that cracked under pressure. So it leaves us with Eggsy and Roxy. Yeah, Eggsy and Roxy are the final two. And they're given 24 hours to spend with their mentors. But before that training exercise happened, Harry actually was on a mission of his own. And he went undercover as a VIP billionaire to try and get further intel on what Valentine's overall plan is. So he went over to Valentine's house for dinner and it's kind of this very comedic and also tense scene because once he sits down to dinner, Gazelle actually is the one that brings in the tray with dinner and you think that she's probably about to attack him or something, but she just flips open the tray and it just reveals all these entrees (laughs) from McDonald's. And I mean, they're joking. They're talking about how, oh, these Big Macs are pairing well with this wine and we'll have Twinkies and wine for dessert. So you kind of have that comedic undertone to the scene, even though there is that tension of not really knowing if they know who Harry is or if they're falling for his disguise. But ultimately, Harry just walks out and Valentine reveals to Gazelle because she asks, hey, do you want me to follow him? And he says, don't worry about it. I slipped a tracking gel into his dinner wine because they want to see where he goes because they want to know who he's working for. Oh, I missed that too. And that brings us to where we left off with you, which is the two candidates are now spending the 24 hours with their mentors. And that's where Harry and Eggsy go to the Kingsman suit shop and you have your gadget introduction scene, which is my favorite scene in this movie, apart from the manners maketh man scene, because there's not actually any action in this. This is just the showcase of all the different Mm -hmm. gadgets that we're going to get to see used later in the film. Yeah, it was a cool way to kind of introduce them. I mean, it's simple, but it's effective to kind of just 
here's all of your weapons and here's how they work. And it's a nice way to just give your audience the knowledge of what's happening without kind of explaining it afterwards and being like, oh, this was laced. Ha ha. And two specific gadgets that they bring up that are going to be important later down in the plot is the poison inside the pen and the knife inside the shoe. So the poison inside the pen is a liquid that you can slip into anything and it's not lethal. But once you hit a switch on the pen, it becomes a lethal liquid, regardless Mm -hmm. of if the person has already consumed it or not. So to put it into perspective, you could put something into a drink and unless it's activated, it's not going to poison them. But once they've drinking it, the poison's in them and you can activate it at any point. Again, very sneaky little weapon there. And then the second gadget that we're going to talk about is the knife inside the shoe. Now, once they click their heels together, a knife comes out of the tip of the shoe. And they mentioned that these knives are coated in a very toxic poison that could kill you instantly. Right. I The only thing that I wish we had from this scene is like i kind of wish we had the creator of all of these weapons kind of just explaining it in a mad scientist way i feel like that would have given a new layer to kingsman and it's like ooh, it's like a whole organization where with the characters that they've given us i feel like we only had one layer of kingsman like it is this whole organization obviously all this stuff came from somewhere and i think that would have been a space to kind of introduce different layers to kingsman like over the years over the years but also like obviously somebody's creating these things like who's creating them it's not harry you know yeah like like the the mastermind behind the gadgets yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we could have introduced some interesting characters there. That's just one of my layers that I feel like we were missing a little bit. No, fair enough. I I could see that. I think that it might be a different movie if that were it. I think they like the simplicity yeah. of just having Harry and Eggsy, and I think they kind of want to show them getting closer because it's going to play into the emotional impact that they're trying to give the audience later down on the plot. But... I could see that maybe being in a bit more of a comedic tone. I think that if they had emphasized on comedy more than action, that might have been what we had seen. Yeah, I I just think it would have been an interesting thing to play with, maybe. So Harry and Eggsy go upstairs from the gadget room, and they discover that Valentine is visiting the Kingsman suit shop. And they have a very tense moment where Harry kind of realizes that Valentine might be letting on to know that he knows who Harry is. So... Mm -hmm. Harry departs Eggsy to follow Valentine for the rest of the day, and Eggsy goes back to training headquarters. So then Eggsy's in the room with Arthur. They all they have all the candidates like in separate rooms, all the candidates. It's Roxy and Eggsy left. <laughs> they have them in different rooms and they're there with their dogs. And Arthur tells him that he has to shoot his dog and hands him a gun. He's like, shoot him. And Eggsy won't, which is the callback from what you were saying before when he didn't want to run over the cat. So it's this you know, he won't shoot the dog. And ultimately that kicks him out of the running for Kingsman and for the spot of Lancelot. But then you hear a gunshot go off in the other room. And obviously that's Roxy. Right. And then Arthur tells him to get out because obviously he's failed his training. So Eggsy then is taken to Harry's house where a disappointed Harry explains that it was a blank the entire time. They weren't actually going to have him kill a pug because Eggsy's fuming. He looks at Harry and he says, you killed a dog for your job. And Mm -hmm. Harry's like, I did, and I had to be reminded of it every day when I go take a leak because he had his dog stuffed, and that's where he (laughs) kind of explains, I loved my dog, and he went on to live for nine years after that and died of pancreatitis, and so I had him stuffed to remind me of him. So Eggsy kind of is now living with this regret of, oh, well, I did kind of let this opportunity slip away, 
But Harry, again, is in the midst of this whole Valentine scandal trying to figure out what's going to happen. And Merlin intercoms him in and says, hey, we need you to go check this out because they're going to be testing out whatever they're working on tomorrow at this church. So Harry leaves Eggsy as he goes to this church and Eggsy is left to watch through these first perspective lenses on Harry's glasses. So this church scene that happens is one of like, I mean, it's probably the most famous scene from this film. I actually have seen this scene before. We had it, (laughs) we had to study it in one of my classes and I don't remember what class or what we were studying, but I have seen this scene before. (laughs) And it's arguably the most violent scene. I mean, it is the most violent scene that takes place in the movie. And I mixed with the cinematography that I already didn't like, mixed with the over-violent nature of it. It's just, I don't know. I didn't love it. Interesting. Controversial thing to say, but I didn't love it. I loved this scene because, like I mentioned, they always keep the action in the center of the screen. So Mm -hmm. I feel like while he's fighting through this whole church, you can kind of follow person by person who he's going after. And I think that's one of the things I liked. It took them seven days to shoot the church sequence. Holy crap. Are you serious? Yeah. And I mean, when you go back and look at it, there's a lot of fight choreography that probably had to be yeah observed on it. And I mean, there's so many people fighting at once that there was probably just so much to get done in one shot that they had to focus on. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of brings me back to one of the things about the cinematography I had written down earlier that I just forgot to bring up is that you're getting a higher shutter speed. So you're getting a lot more frames per second. So it feels like it's moving faster. From the way that it's shot, I I think they were actually just speeding it up. I what what do you think about like did you get that from this? Or did you just think it was like a higher FPS? I just thought it was a higher FPS. I mean, we've been talking about how all the violence in this movie is very stylized, and I think they were trying to go for again, a stylized fight. It's very choreographed yeah. and it's not meant to look realistic. It's supposed to be over the top and almost satirical in a sense. Yeah. I don't know. I just had this feeling that they sped it up, but I definitely have to do more research on that. It just like looked a little bit different than what you're typically used to seeing. But this is also the scene where we come to realize what Valentine's overall plot is. And basically what it is, is the SIM cards he's been giving out set off this frequency that caused the people around the frequency to act very violent towards each other in an involuntary manner to the point that they're killing each other. And going forward, you learn a little bit more in the final battle about why he's doing this, but that's where you kind of understand where the SIM cards are coming into play because Harry's in the church and the test is supposed to be the people in the church killing each other. And they see that it's a 100% success. Harry's the last man standing and he walks outside greeted by Valentine and Gazelle in which Valentine just puts a bullet right in his head and says, this isn't that kind of movie where I'm going to let you walk away. And that's going to bring us back to Kingsman headquarters where Arthur's having this conversation with Eggsy because it's now been revealed that Harry's passed. So Eggsy kind of returns to the headquarters and is trying to basically say, we need to go after him. We need to go after him. And Arthur's like in due time. And he pours them a glass of brandy and says, we're going to drink to Harry's honor. And, They're having this conversation where Eggsy notices a mark behind Arthur's ear, realizing that Arthur has taken the implant from Valentine. And so he kind of realizes that Arthur's clearly on board with whatever plan this is. And he kind of offers him the choice. He says, I've poured the poison from the pen in your brandy that you drank, and I can either activate it and you can die with Harry, 
or we can see eye to eye on this and I can submit you to replace Harry and the Kingsman. And Eggsy says, I think I'll join Harry, to which Arthur just clicks the pen. And the twist is that Eggsy did a sleight of hand switch of the glasses and Arthur just killed himself. Yeah, that was a cool scene. And I kind of like obviously saw it coming because, you know, what are you going to do? Kill off your main character? Because they've already had him cheat death so many times so it's yeah i I could see it coming but it was a cool it was a cool thing that they did there the little switch up also i looked it up and i can't find anything on how that scene was shot so i haven't seen anything i mean it's a very simple scene so yeah and then we're kind of in our final showdown here it's going to be roxy merlin and eggsy as the final three who basically have to save the world now because once v-day begins which now that it's been tested they say there's a six hour time limit and once the six hours is up, all those transmitters go live and the world's basically just going to turn to chaos where everyone's killing each other. So they break up into three different teams and Roxy's responsibility is to fly into space and shoot a missile at the satellite that's going to be transmitting the signal. Whereas Merlin and Eggsy are going undercover and actually infiltrating the safe zone of the transmitters where Valentine and all of the people who have taken the chip are hiding out. Yeah, so... Correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the plot points that I think has a little bit of a hole in is is going into that scene with Eggsy and Merlin. Eggsy just doesn't have any training. He has gadgets and he has, he's like equipped like a Kingsman, but he doesn't have any training and they're throwing him into this like epic fight scene essentially. And it's realistically looking at it. I know it's not realism, obviously, but like realistically looking at it, don't you have a better fighter? (laughs) I mean... Like we said, it's down to the three of them. There's really no one else that's going to be here. So I think it's kind of just a last yeah. resort moment at that point. But Fair enough. I get what you're saying because, yeah, it does It's a little sense. bit of a plot hole. Like if we had had a boot camp of their like training when they were interviewing, essentially, maybe that would have covered that up. But I don't know. Just a tiny little plot hole there for me. So they enter the base and Eggsy basically, his mission is to infiltrate and get into the computer system so they can take it down from the inside. Now, during Eggsy's infiltration, Charlie, who is the third candidate that ratted out Kingsman in the final test, is revealed to be in attendance at this party. And he says, oh, of course I'm here. My parents got invites. And he mm-hmm. announces that Eggsy is a spy. And this kind of sets the final battle into motion because Eggsy is chased through the entire facility by the guards. And Roxy fires the missile and you kind of have this intercut scene between the two of them because one of Roxy's hover balloons that is bringing her up blows out and she can't aim the missile at the satellite, but then she does and Eggsy finally makes it back to the plane after being hunted down by all these guards and you're led to believe that, oh, it's going to be great. But then all of a sudden you see that Valentine has a biometric override that they can't hack into and so it's still going to happen. He puts his hand on the biometric scan and everything goes live. So Eggsy has to re-infiltrate the facility that he just escaped. And so he goes back through the hallways, but eventually he gets cornered and doesn't have a way in it. But Merlin's able to hack in and activate all of the chips inside all the people who are in the warehouse, which brings their heads to all explode. And it's this very Mm, kind of just magical and trippy scene, but also very gory because when everyone's heads explode, it's like a colored like puff of air. Almost. Yeah. Very uh, interesting, but it eliminates everyone in the warehouse and they think Valentine, but he comes over the loud system and says, you didn't think I was dumb enough to put one of those chips in my head. So Eggsy realizes he's going to have to go kill Valentine in order to stop him. And the world's now ascending into chaos because as he activated all the chips, 
everyone's trying to kill each other into the world. So Eggsy runs into the lair and has a final standoff with Gazelle. And that's where we're going to have this very stylized and choreographed battle. I mean, there's music playing and you see Gazelle almost doing like (laughs) dance moves. It was like almost a disco scene. Like what is happening here? I just, it was so out of place for me. I was not feeling it. Yeah, they're just dancing with each other, really. But then they do this really slow-mo kick that's really cool. But Eggsy clicks the knife heel open as she's trying to slice him with her leg. And in the air, he happens to, like, nick her arm with the Mm -hmm. dagger on his shoe. And like we mentioned, that's laced with poison. So that's going to be a poison dagger that takes her out. And so she stands up and realizes she's been poisoned and falls. And then Eggsy just rips off one of her legs and chucks it at Valentine, causing him to just, well, first he throws up because he's grossed (laughs) out at himself getting stabbed. And it's a really disgusting shot because they just have him throw up essentially on the camera. Yeah. Then he falls down and Eggsy walks over and he says, is this the part where you tell me some funny pun? And Eggsy says, this ain't that kind of movie, which is the line that Valentine said to Harry when Harry said, is this the part where I get away? Yeah. So that kind of ties up that plot and Eggsy returns amidst the whole chaos. He actually found the princess's cell and she said that (laughs) if he saved the world, they could do it in the asshole. That's a direct quote. (laughs) And so I miss that. (laughs) He grabs a bottle of champagne and goes running back and Merlin sees the first person perspective. And he's like, why are you grabbing champagne? And Eggsy's just like, nope, nope. And he goes into the cell with the princess and it cuts there. And so you kind of just close out on that. And the only other thing we get is a mid-credit scene where Eggsy returns to the bar where him and Harry had that fight earlier. And you see his mom and her abusive boyfriend. Now, Eggsy walks in in a Kingsman suit and the goons and her mom's boyfriend are kind of just like, we're going to beat you up. And then Eggsy mirrors what Harry did earlier. And he does the manners maketh man lock in and he knocks them all out. And then it just ends on that. And that is Kingsman. Yeah, that's another another plotline that didn't get tied up for me in that was that I know they were trying to build this relationship between like Harry and Eggsy, but I just didn't I didn't get that. And so like the grief and like the revenge there just didn't really make sense to me. And like if he had maybe been a father figure to him in a certain way, or I don't know. I just missing a few scenes there where it was sentimental. I don't think we got sentimental moments between the two of them. Later in the franchise, which I don't think you're going to visit based on the sounds of (laughs) how you took this one, but later on in the franchise, you kind of see a little bit more into the bond that Harry and Eggsy had. Okay. Yeah, I guess. But I kind of just, (laughs) in my notes, I wrote that this was like The Incredibles, but if it was real life and not as fun. This is like the R-rated Incredibles. Yeah. (laughs) Except they're not superheroes. They're spies. Well, I mean, let me ask you, where would you rate this on a scale of 1 to 10? Like a 5. Ouch. That's yeah. that's mean. That's know, not I'm nice. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's I just want to say... I did the movie. This is one of my favorite action movies of the really? 2010 to 2019 like decade. Ooh. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just not, not my cup of tea, I think. It was like not realistic it wasn't like it was too violent it just didn't there were a lot of plot lines that didn't make sense to me i don't know i thought it was too long i thought there was if it was a faster paced film maybe i would have enjoyed it more i don't know i think it was just missing a lot of things for me but 
That's just my opinion. Where where do you rank it? Aggressively higher than you. I rate yeah. this at a nine. This <gasps> is a nine Shine. for me. It is so good. If someone were to come up to me and ask me to show them an action-adventure movie just to like get a feel on the genre, this would be one of the ones that I would hand to them. It would be a collection, but this would be one of them. Interesting. Okay, that's really high for you. I love this movie. I thought that the humor was perfectly witty. It made me feel classy. Like, I think it was the second time I watched this movie, right after I bought it on DVD. I sat down with a glass of whiskey and I just sipped my whiskey <laughs> while I watched Kingsman. And I just, I felt like a G, I gotta be honest. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I can see how it would be enjoyable. I definitely think it's very stylized. It's campy at moments. It's, I don't know, maybe just not my cup of tea. Well, and something that I was reading was that Matthew Vaughn stepped down from directing X-Men Days of Future Past to pursue this project. And that kind of just shocked me because he was behind X-Men First Class. And X-Men Days of Future Past, similar to this, is another top-tier action-adventure movie of that decade for me. And honestly, apparently I'm just a Matthew Vaughn fan because I'm a really big fan of (laughs) Kick-Ass. That, again, is one of my top ten of a decade that it came out in. Jeez. Yeah, maybe just his style isn't my thing. I guess we'll have to explore some Matthew Vaughn films in the future. Maybe. We'll we'll talk about it. But in the meantime, if you guys enjoyed today's episode, be sure to follow us at BTST Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you have any movie suggestions for us or want to talk about any movies with us, feel free to shoot us an email at btstpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe if you enjoyed today's episode and make sure to tune in on Thursday where we will be discussing Turning Red. I look forward to that because I think there's a lot of controversy around it that we do need to address. Absolutely. We got a lot to talk about. But until then, I'm Sean. And I'm Catherine. And this has been another episode of Been There, Seen That. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.